Hello everyone and welcome to the final episode of Well Disguised for the year 2021. I'm pretty sure of that. I cannot imagine what would have to happen in the rock world in the next 48 hours for me to rush out another episode. Although, you know, God forbid Steven Tyler and Mick Jagger end up in a motorcycle accident against each other or something. Anyway, let's hope none of that happens. Let's be positive going into the new year. I'm joined on this episode by Brian Colburn from the fantastic Playlist Wars podcast. They've had me on a couple times. I'm glad to be able to have Brian on this time as we go down our best or top or favorite or whatever you want to call it, five albums of 2021. It's been a pretty good year for music, I think. I mean, maybe it wasn't 1975, but I do think it was better than 2020. And obviously looking forward to 2022 and New releases by Mississippi Bones and Saxon and hopefully Clutch and lots of other people. But anyway, without further ado, Brian Colburn and me coming up on Well Disguised. As promised, I am joined tonight by Brian Colburn. Of course, it's tonight when we're recording. I don't know when it'll be when you're listening, but Brian Colburn is here from Playlist Wars. Brian, thank you so much for coming on Well Disguised. John, thank you so much for having me, man. So excited to finally be on the show. Well, let's talk about that a little bit because I have finally got you on and I've been on your show a couple of times. So I hope the average well-disguised listener is already well familiar with Playlist Wars and what you guys are about. But for those that aren't, could you explain what Playlist Wars is? Sure. It's a real simple concept. It's myself and my best friend of several decades. Every time we say it, we say a different year. Sometimes it's 25 years. Sometimes it's 30. Somewhere between 25 and 30 years we've known each other. We've been best friends for a very long time. We bring on a guest. And each episode, we pick a band, artist, or topic. And with that band, artist, or topic, we each create a 10-song playlist that we feel best represents that band, artist, or topic. And then we have a roundtable discussion on the show, basically dissecting everybody's picks and choices and celebrating the ones we missed, maybe talking about why we didn't put it on our list and kind of diving deep into an artist's catalog or a topic's kind of idea of where you could go with it. Because three different people will see a band three different ways, and it's played out that way time and time again on our show. And then after we go through the whole episode, we turn it over to the listeners to vote for which one they most resonate with, which of the three lists. And it's made for some fantastic discussions on the show as well as offline with the listeners. And it's a just a fun concept that we've been having an absolute blast doing this year so far. Yeah, I was on two of your shows. One on, we did The Rolling Stones, mm-hmm. and that was a blast. And we also did Guns N' Roses, which was also a blast. But you guys have done 
a lot more expansive than that. You've had the best songs of 1971. I think you just did a, 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 a kind of a weird Christmas song episode. Is that correct? Yeah, untraditional Christmas songs. So basically anything that falls outside of the Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra realm. And we basically said songs released from 1980 on. The songs that most people don't think about when they think of their favorite Christmas stories or they think of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and those CBS specials or It's a Wonderful Life. No, we're talking Run DMC, Bruce Springsteen, all the stuff that our age grew up with. And Absolutely. Kinda, and those are considered untraditional now because anytime you hear on, let's say, Sirius XM or on Spotify, if you look up a traditional playlist, you're getting Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra, Perry Cuomo. We wanted to do something a little bit different and something that spoke to our generation a little more. Well, I will say Playlist Wars is simply one of the best music podcasts that's out there. You and Gomez are absolutely killing it. Uh, and it's an honor to have been a part of that. And one of the reasons that you're doing so well is you've got background as a real life practicing recording musician, right? Yeah, unfortunately. Yes, you could say that. <laughs> yeah. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, I have been playing in bands ever since high school. So going on a <laughs> many number of years here. Yes. And in 2000, I was in a hard rock band for several years and we did some great shows opening up for Black Label Society, among other bands. And we tried to make a run of it. We were all 21, 22 years old. And unfortunately, that fizzled out. And then I started a pop punk band with some friends and that lasted for a few years and then fizzled out. Then I tried to do the cover band scene and that lasted one year. And I was like, I can't do this. I need to I need to be creative. And I started writing acoustic songs. And as I was writing them, I, I have been in radio and recording and audio for two decades now. I just started recording the stuff myself. And over the last decade, I've put out four or five different albums, all self-recorded, all working with musicians all over the world that I'm either friends with or have a relationship with online networking and stuff. And I've recorded bass tracks and guitar tracks for other musicians, as well as some vocal stuff. And yeah, I've put out several albums. Unfortunately, now that kids are in the picture, I haven't recorded as much now as I'd like to. And obviously with the podcasting, I'm spending a little bit more time doing that than I am actually sitting and recording. But the band still plays out every summer doing a mix of covers and some of the original tunes that some of the musicians in the band have written and performed themselves over the years. So it's a great way to get that musical outlet when you can actually be out and playing in front of people. Because if anything that we've learned over the last two years is you don't take those things for granted. Well, that's awesome and a little intimidating, but uh, we will try to meet on, I'll try to carry my weight here and uh, meet you on equal ground. You know, I, I asked you to come on the show because I wanted to do an episode about the, and, and this is the problem with the title, the top five, the best five, or just our favorite five, maybe more accurately, albums of 2021. And I say that for a lot of different reasons. First of all, I'm not a critic, although I guess I sort of am a critic at times, but no one's emailing me or mailing me records. No one's asking me to review their records. And I will say from the start, and you could, maybe you're, maybe you're coming from a different place. I haven't listened to every new album or even, you know, half of the ones or a fraction of the ones that maybe I could. And so I know Playlist Wars is sort of relentlessly positive 
about music and about the people who follow your show and listen to your show and that sort of thing. Uh, and I would throw that out to, I think, all, our, all my listeners as well. I'm not saying these are the best five albums of 2021. These are the best five that I listen to. And there may be five other ones out there that I just, because of real life, because of kids, because of other interests, that I, there may be five that I listen to 10 years from now that I say, that would have been better in 2021. But that's where I'm at. Is that kind of where you're coming from? Oh, 100%. Because every time we do an episode that is theme-based on Playlist Wars, I could tell you right now, even ones that are band-related, some people will bring out songs that I'm going, how did I overlook that? That's brilliant. Yeah. Or last night we just recorded our top songs of 2021 episode that'll be coming out soon on the on playlist wars and some of the songs that were picked up i've actually never heard so after we were done recording the first thing i did was i'm like no oh, the kids are asleep already i have nothing else to do so i just opened up spotify and started listening to a couple of the songs and i found some new artists that i'm excited to check out moving into 2022 so to me Shows like this where we're discussing our favorite albums are also about celebrating the music we love, but also hopefully discovering something that somebody else resonated with that maybe you overlooked or you just happened to miss. Because unfortunately, in the days of streaming, how long does an album shelf life actually have? And I use quote marks in the air when I say shelf life, because when you go to a record store, you'd have that new release shelf. Yeah. The new releases were presented to you. And you can kind of pick and choose. Spotify does have playlists that present songs in an algorithm to you, but kind of that actually looking at the album cover and looking at the songs, you're kind of overwhelmed with thousands of new releases on Spotify. And you're not kind of getting that music store curated new release rack that really kind of points you into whatever direction you might want to go. So I think music discovery now is harder than ever because there's just so many options you can get lost in a sea of, of endless options at this point. So trying to find those albums that you resonate is actually harder now than it was 20 years ago. I'm so glad you brought that up because one of the things I was going to ask you was, how do you find new music in 2021? How, how do you do it at this point? Well, for me, I am a very big proponent. If you follow me on social media, you'll know that I am all about physical media. I own 4,000 CDs unapologetically. People laugh at me about it. They're like, oh, they're relics. I'm sorry, but it's a physical piece of media. If my hard drive dies on my computer, I still own the music. If Spotify decides to drop that artist or there's a contract dispute and they're no longer on Spotify, I still own the music. If one day these record streaming services, music streaming services, go the way of what's happening in television right now, where every network has their own streaming service. If the labels start doing that, you're going to have to have five different streaming services to own all the music you want. Or you're an idiot like me who bought all the albums when they came out, supported the artists, which gave them more money than any stream would ever accomplish from the amount of times you'll ever listen to an album on streaming. So you're supporting that artist to continue making new music and building up a collection of music that you own. You're not renting it. However, all that negative stuff said about streaming. The beauty of streaming is back in the 90s, I would buy CDs for $17.99 at the mall from Sam Goody or Record Town, and I would end up liking one, maybe two songs. 
And if you'd spend $60 in a month on three CDs and you'd only have four songs that you like, that was a big waste of money. Now for $10 a month on Spotify, when a new album comes out, I can listen to it first and decide if I want to buy it. So to me, it's the world's greatest preview machine. But make no mistake, once I like an album, I'm immediately buying it. Physical copy, I have to own it. And I feel like that's going the extra part to support these musicians that, God, I know what I've made on streaming, and I'm obviously not a famous musician, but the pennies upon pennies upon pennies of a dollar that I've made, had those been actual CDs, I might have been able to afford to record more often. Sure. But the streams make it nearly impossible. And if there's a band that's living and trying to feed their family out on the road, I and I enjoy their music and it resonates with me, I want to make sure that they have as much of an opportunity as possible to continue to do that and continue to give their art to people. Because art has value and that's something that I've always felt about music. I'm a bit of a dinosaur myself in a different way. I still buy some physical media and I buy a bunch of the other stuff like hot sauce <laughs> and, and a phone charger and um, t-shirts, obviously. And uh, the, what do you call it on the, I'm, I just got into vinyl this year. That was my father's day present to, to get a record player, not the slip slip mat, slip I guess. Mats, or whatever. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. So yeah. I've, I've bought a mat from a band, but I also subscribe to what's called a magazine. And for you kids, heard of those relics. <laughs> for you kids out there, magazines are these weird things that are about. Well, Classic Rock magazine is the one I subscribe to that I'm talking about, and Classic Rock is a, usually about 120 pages long. And despite the title, yeah, the title, the cover story, and usually one or two other stories is going to be about Judas Priest or ACDC or Black Sabbath, but Classic Rock magazine. In addition to that, covers everything from Napalm Death to Fairport Convention to funk and folk and punk, obviously, and lots of other stuff, new and old. And it's just as as the term rock and roll is ranges from Madonna to you know Motorhead or whatever. Mm-hmm. Classic Rock Magazine seems to take a very similar approach. And that's where I find out about a lot of music, even though. Obviously, those articles are probably printed or written six or eight weeks before they show up in my mailbox. I get some from Twitter, Spotify, and their you know weekly release radar or whatever the the playlists that they are do that seem to be I don't know how it, they seem to be actually tailored to me and my taste. Whether that's a an illusion or not, and it's a bunch of people like me all have the same list or not. I don't know. I don't know how individualized it is. But that's kind of where I get mine too. And again, that probably doesn't mean I miss some things. And for and and as we'll get as we'll see when we get on here, what I really miss are debuts. Mm-hmm. Like I have new records, but it a, a band's first album, they're not I, I don't have one of those on my top five. And that's what I seem to be missing a lot of, the very newest of the new music. But anyway, that's something I guess, like you say, because the record stores don't have that to cater to you anymore. How important is new music to you? Oh, my God. It, it's something I get excited about every week. Yeah. Growing up all the way through when they changed the release date, Tuesdays was one of my favorite days of the week because it was New Music Tuesdays. 
and I would get to go to the record store and look around or even now in the digital age, just open up iTunes or Spotify and just look at the new albums. Now it's on a Friday, which is even better because those new albums lead you right into the weekends to enjoy them if you found something new you like. So to me, it's always about the hunt and always about finding another band that I resonate with or that I like. And I'm excited when bands that I enjoy put out new music and I'm motivated to continue to support that because you want them to keep putting out music. So to me, it's a weekly holiday. And I know that sounds like I'm really gushing over the fact, but it's true. I get excited to get up and I'm having my coffee on a Tuesday morning and I'm scrolling through and clicking on songs and going, Oh, that's pretty good. And let me check this one out. I make a little playlist for either if I have to, you know, after I bring the kids to school or to play in the background during the day. And each week I get to discover new music. And even if I like it or don't, it might be something where I'm like, eh, I'm not really a fan of this song, but I like the band sound. So let me keep them on my radar in the future. So it's something that I'll never tire of. Yeah. I just, um, I can't listen to journey anymore. <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't listen to Fleetwood back. I like Fleetwood back, but I know some people are like that. I probably most people, maybe even most of my listeners, you know, there is that point where you kind of, all right, I'm done. I've listened to every song I ever needed to listen to and I'll take what I have in the bank. And then there's people like you and people like me who are still on the hunt, on the prowl for the next thing that's going to move us and motivate us. And I, I, you know, I don't quite probably study it every Friday, but it is something I I just have to have it. I I can't deal with, I can't deal with the old stuff for the rest of my days. I just can't. I get it. How excited do you get when you discover a new band or new to you? And you find out that they've got five or six albums and you get to go back and kind of catalog dive this artist that you just discovered to me. That's a rush. That's a rush. That's better than any drug you could think of to me, because I get genuinely excited. Like, oh, my God, I get to go down this six hour rabbit hole and listen to all music that I'm, I'm totally jiving with right now. And to me, that could be a band as new as the Black Keys for me. I discovered the, I knew who the black keys were. I never gave them a chance for many, many years. I just was like, eh, not my thing, not my thing. They put out a blues album this year called Delta cream. And someone said, dude, I know you're into that. Like North Mississippi, all stars, Southern rock blues. You got to check this album out. I'm like, all right, but it's the black keys. Let me give it a chance. One song in, I was already on their website, buying the CD. And I'm like, this is an introduction. Okay, now I get where they come from because it's kind of an album where they go back to their roots. They do some cover songs. I went back and just binge their whole catalog and I have a newfound respect for them now. So it's kind of moments like that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I did a, an episode a long time ago how, you, you know, we, at the end of the year, we get these Spotify list. And uh, two or three years ago, my uh, favorite new artist on Spotify was Uriah Heep. <laughs> how, how bizarre is that? But I know what happened. I finally gave a Uriah, you know, you know where I came up, came from, Uriah Heep was not on even classic rock radio. Right. And I, but then I went on a deep dive for several weeks through Uriah Heep. And then I was kind of done. I, you know, I haven't listened to much Heep since then. But I'll, at the end of the year, Spotify said that was my <laughs> my top new artist, which is absurd, obviously, since they probably started in late 60s or very early 70s. But anyway, all right. Well, this is fun, but let's get to the main event and why we're here. The, right. uh, 
the 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 playlist worrying of the uh, episode here. As the guest, I'm gonna let you go first. We'll count them down from five to one, with a couple little deviations maybe once we get uh, towards the end. But Brian, what's number five album of 2021 for you? All right, my number five album is Royal Bloods Typhoons. The album was released on April 30th. It reached number 48 on the U.S. Billboard 200, number four on the U.S. Top Alternatives album, number three on the U.S. Top Hard Rocks album, and number seven on the U.S. Top Rock albums, all on Billboard. This album to me was one of the ones where when I read about the album before it came out, I was convinced I was going to hate it because here was this no frills, two piece rock band that was putting out a poppier effort. And every time you hear those words, then the, just I cringe because I'm expecting an auto tuned, just pop fluff garbage. And I went to the first single with I was damn near afraid to hit the play button. And when I did, I had to listen to the song four times in a row because I was Shocked and blown away at the same time. Shocked because it didn't sound like Royal Blood that I got used to on their first two albums, but blown away at the fact that I loved the direction they were heading and I didn't expect to. So this band took a no-frills hard rock sound, added gloss and sheen to it, which by definition is a very risky move because you're risking alienating all those fans that jumped onto your bandwagon over those first two albums. And yet, it worked for them. So the execution was where the payoff kind of lived and breathed here. And they crafted an upbeat and, dare I say, fun rock dance album. I can't believe those words are even put together. But they still embrace where they came from. But they added just enough of that sheen to show you that they could pull it off well. And to me, it's the opposite of what the Foo Fighters did with Medicine at Midnight. Because if I'm being perfectly honest, that album is a mixed bag for me because it just hit strangely. The approach that they used was the same as kind of Royal Blood here. I mean, Dave Grohl even led up to that album, touting it as their band's attempt at a Let's Dance by David Bowie album. So three songs of note, though, from Royal Blood. Trouble's Coming, Oblivion, and the title track, Typhoons. So my number five album is Royal Blood, Typhoons. Well, let's do this episode Playlist Wars style. Because... My number four record is Royal Blood Typhoons. Awesome. Um, so, you know, we, we had talked. We haven't, we don't know who, what's on each other's list. And I, I, I think I told you beforehand, one of my great fears is you're going to say five albums I've never listened to and, and vice versa. And we're just going to be kind of sitting here. So, hey, we got at least one, right? Yeah. But um, yeah, to me, I kind of feel like, and I, I wrote some notes about it too. I, I feel like, if I'm into this album as much as I am, maybe means Royal Blood's already over <laughs> because you know I'm on the other side of 45 at this point, and maybe I'm not who they want in their target 
demographic. Although people like you and me are the ones who will be loyal and stick with them forever, which I know certainly the guys value. But I, I think when I first heard Royal Blood a while, you know, several years ago, I said, this is kind of heavy metal meets pop, you know, and, and maybe in the middle that creates rock. But this record is really like the same thing. This is like dance music for metalheads or, or something. When I try to define rock, which I don't usually do that, it's in those Rock and Roll Hall of Fame discussions. It's one of the things I stay away from it because you can't really define it. Are you going to say Elton John's not rock and roll just because he's playing the piano or, or Jerry Lee Lewis wasn't rock, rock and roll, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But usually if I'm going to say, try to create a definition of rock and roll, it's going to involve the electric six string guitar and Royal blood doesn't have that. It's, you know, it's a bass and, and, and the drums and the sound that they get out of those instruments is just absolutely amazing. Trouble, trouble coming. I think that's the, the lead, the lead single you were talking about. Yes. Um, I, you know, it blew me away when I heard it. Uh, you did not mention Boilermaker. Oh, that would have been my number four. Yeah. That, that, that tune, which I didn't learn until I was kind of doing research for this episode, I guess they've kind of debuted that live maybe even two years ago, but certainly in 2020, kind of worked it up before releasing it on on this record. It's it's really good. It sort of makes me feel young still and happy. And not all my music makes me feel that way. And even the lyrical content is a little depressing at times. It's a, They're working stuff out, I think, in their music. But, uh, you know, Royal Blood has a lot of promise. And when people talk about rock bands not being able to do stadiums or whatever, you know, let's, let's, let's see what, where Royal Blood is in the next 10 years. Um, but that's great. So, you know, my number four, your number five, we're on board. All right. I guess going, uh, again, Playlist Wars style, that means I'll go next. Mm-hmm. And um, my number five, speaking of Black Label Society, uh, is Doom Crew Incorporated which just came out in the past month. Black Label Society is a band that I've, you know, Zach Wilde, I absolutely love. To me, he is a true rock star. I think it's fair to say that there is a bit of sameness to Black Label Society records. There's not a tremendous amount of variety, but this is a really good one. This is a really good one. It's less heavy, but it's plenty of heavy enough. There's multiple ballads and Zach does a great job with those. I think his singing is getting better and people who may listen to it, who aren't accustomed to that style of music, maybe like, are you sure this is getting better? I think if it's worse, but Zach really does have a unique voice and he does seem to be moving on a little bit from the Aussie imitation where he's been before. Coincidentally or not, the, the two songs they've released videos for, which I assume count as singles at this point, 
Set Me Free and End of Days. They're probably my favorite tracks so far. Both videos are absolutely hilarious. And that's something Black Label Society has been doing for a long time. They have not been taking themselves super serious. Black Label's last album was called Grimmest Hits. Uh, and again, just to the to the sense of humor in this band, I didn't listen to Grimmest Hits for weeks because I just thought it was a greatest hits record. It's a, it's a best of. I mean, they called it Grimmest Hits. And then I finally queued it up on Spotify and I thought, well, first song, I guess that's an add-on to it. I haven't heard this before. And then the second one was same. And then I got to the third one. I was like, what, what is going on here? And then I realized, no, it's just a new record. I think Grimmest Hits was actually a turn back up. And this is another step forward for the band, another step up. So I was really excited about Doom Crew Incorporated. And one, one last thing, Dario, who's long been the rhythm player there, on this record, he seems to have graduated beyond and he and Zach are playing leads together and which does add something new to black label sound a little bit of the, the interweaving of guitar leads. It's their 11th record, but if you haven't had a chance to check it out yet, uh, doom crew incorporated was my fifth best or fifth favorite this year. That's awesome. And this is one where, like you said at the top of the show, the, the albums you've listened to. This just came out recently. I have heard Set You Free, and I love it. And I also saw a video for End of Days, I think, is yeah. the other one. Both of them are really good. And it's one of those things where I get what you're saying about the Ozzy imitation on the vocals. Because, I, hell, I remember back in the 90s when Black Label put out a cover of No More Tears. Forgot the name of the album it was on, but it was on a deluxe edition of okay. one of their albums in the 90s. And... You're right. He sounded like he was trying to do an Ozzy imitate, obviously, because he was covering it. But you can almost feel that throughout the rest of the album. But once you heard that, you're going, yeah. And, and now that you think about it, and I do feel his vocals have become more unique to him as opposed to the, the Ozzy connection. But I'm looking forward to giving that album a listen over the holidays. So I don't want to say as of as of this moment, it would not be in my top five because it's not. But you know, by the time this episode's airing, I might be texting you going, hey, can I recut my number? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, let's go on then back to your number four at this point. Uh, take it away. All right. My number four, I'm going Southern Rock this time. And it's an album that came out on May 28th of this year. And it's Blackberry Smoke, You Hear Georgia. The album reached number 55 on the U.S. Billboard 200 number six on the U.S. indie rock charts, and number seven on the U.S. rock charts. The album features some guest appearances on there. You get Government Mules, Warren Haynes, Jamie Johnson, as well as background vocals on the whole album from the Black Bettys, a female duo out of Georgia that is absolutely amazing vocally. If you're a fan of true Southern slash classic rock, this band is a living, breathing example of what the genre should sound like in 2021 and beyond. They kind of take all the best parts of bands like Skinner, ZZ Top, and the Allman Brothers, but they tie a Rolling Stones swagger into that. I don't care about this year's making models.
So while it does still sound Southern and Southern rock and a little bit of country, it's got a classic freshness to it. And I know those two words play against each other, but it's true because it sounds like a classic rock band should sound, but it sounds fresh and new. So it's that throwback sound with a modern twist to it. The only critique I can give of this album is it's lean. It's 10 songs and it's 40 minutes. And if you've ever seen this band live, they tend to kind of open up their songs when they're playing live. Not in a jammy fish, Grateful Dead fashion, but a little longer than the three minute studio cut. And I feel like that the album is missing because they're so amazing live. I feel like the solo can go on for an extra four or an extra eight. And I'd still love the song just as much. So if you're a fan of Southern rock in the slightest, you do owe it to yourself to give these guys a chance and maybe put it into your rotation. The three best songs on the album for me, live it down Morningside and old scarecrow. And that is from my number four, blackberry smoke. You hear Georgia. I'm not going to belabor it because uh, although I've listened to blackberry smokes um, catalog, it's not on my list, but I do kind of, if I could ask you a question or two, Sure. Blackberry Smoke is one of those, you know, I talked about classic rock. Classic rock is published in England where maybe rock wasn't invented, but it was perfected. They're really big over there. They play big places over there. And I don't know that that's true so much in the United States. It sounds like you've seen them live. Are they a good live act? Well, uh, believe it or not, mm-hmm. I've seen, I have a Blu-ray of theirs. Okay. And I've seen several, because of the pandemic, I've, seen them live four times but all because of live stream pay-per-views gotcha so we would turn all the lights off in the house throw it up through the tv and the stereo let the kids run around like they were at a concert turn it up a little extra loud and it's been a fantastic way to a support the band because they were doing this to help the band out during the pandemic and you were getting a live concert it was happening as they were doing it so yes i've seen them live but never in the flesh in person Understood. They are incredible live and the venues they play around here are criminally small. When they play alone, they're playing 2000 seat venues. When they play, they've been on the wheels of soul tour with Tedeschi trucks. That's in amphitheaters, but they're the opening band. And I feel like they're just one earshot away of headlining much larger places. And I'm thankful for bands like Zach Brown band and for Leonard Skinner and other Southern rock bands that are on the nostalgia circuit to bring them out. That's their target audience. Realistically, as along with the young people that have discovered them through festivals and stuff. So yes, I feel like people in England give music a chance more than here in the U S I feel like the U S people are like, well, if it's not on my curated Spotify feed, I shouldn't be listening to it almost as if, they're not willing to give a chance because, oh, well, these guys sound, they're going for a Skinner sound and Skinner's old. Man, Skinner has some amazing, and I'm not talking Sweet Home Alabama here. I'm talking about deep stuff like On the Hunt, some of the really grimy Southern rock that they did. These guys do it just as well. And I know, John, you're a huge Rolling Stones fan. For Record Store Day, the band just put out an EP called Stoned, and it was pressed live to vinyl meaning they pressed it and recorded it to vinyl, the band. So that means the band had to do three songs in a row for each side. So they played two, three-song sets of Rolling Stones tunes. 
And if you want to hear a band that loves Southern rock, but also really loves the stones, you hear it come through on the, on that one. So if you're a, if you got some local music stores by you, highly suggest checking that out. Well, I will add that to my list. And I think one of the, uh, just to kind of put a bow on this, I don't know that it's underreported or not well known or what have you, but we are really living, I think, in a renaissance of Southern rock music at mm-hmm. this point. I would say it's come a long way, but it has come a ways since Skinner and the Almonds and, you know, 38 Special and that sort of thing. There are a lot of bands who are taking that up, some maybe more on country radio. Uh, I absolutely love the Cadillac 3. And oh, some love those guys. Yeah. I mean, it's so good. But all right. Well, anyway, my number four, again, was Royal Blood. So we're back to you for your number three. All right. Well, my number three, as per the night we're recording, this album's 11 days old. And yes, in 11 days, it shot past Royal Blood and Blackberry Smoke. The album reached number 91 on the U.S. Billboard 200s just this past week, number two on the U.S. Top Hard Rock Albums, and number nine on the U.S. Top Rock Albums. And I'm going with Volbeat, Servant of the Mind. If you had a blender and you mixed hard rock, rockabilly, punk rock, Johnny Cash, golden oldies, and bar rock such as John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band or Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, and you threw it on high and you poured it out into a glass, that's, that would be what you're in for when you put on a Volbeat album. And while I truly enjoy all of their discography, their last effort, 2019's Rewind, Replay, Rebound, was probably my least repeated album of their catalog. And in the past 11 days, I've already spun Servant of the Mind more often, which tells me this is an immediate step above the last album, and I'm still breaking this one in, so it might continue to, to grow on me. Three songs a note, Wait a Minute, My Girl, Shotgun Blues and Becoming, which is an aggressive, damn near metal tune from these guys. My number three, Volbeat, Servant of the Mind. I have not listened to that, so I can't add anything to it. Tell me a little bit, though. You talked about the last album maybe being your, if not if not your least favorite, your least listened to, maybe. Tell me about the kind of career trajectory of Volbeat and how you see this album fitting in there. It obviously would be an upswing, but compared to their their prior stuff, where do you see this kind of slotting in? It's my favorite album from them is Guitar Gangsters and Cadillac Blood. I when I first heard that album, I was like, oh my god, these guys are something else. And then I saw them open for Lamb of God and Metallica, and that time I enjoyed Volbeat more than Lamb of God because I had never seen them live, and I was so impressed with the mixture of music they had in their short little 25 minute set that Lamb of God, as much as I love Lamb of God, 
I felt like Volbeat was more memorable that night because of the fact that they kind of threw everything at you and it worked and it worked well. And I feel like this album, they're really in tune with who they are. They know their sound. They know they're going to throw you some curveballs. They know they're mixing stuff together that normally is frowned upon and seen as gimmicky. They don't care. They do it unapologetically. And this album just has a lot more confidence than the last one, which I felt like they were throwing their pieces together. But instead of them being all mixed together in a bowl, I felt like they were portioned on one of those kid plates where here's a little bit of the Southern rock. Here's a little bit of the rockabilly. Here's some punk. Here's some metal. I don't feel like they were as gelled together. But now that I'm really digging on this new one, I actually want to go back and give the 2019 album another re-listen to kind of see how my opinions changed over the last two years, too. Brian, do you believe in guilty pleasures? Of course I do. All right. Well, my number three is Hellbound by Buck Cherry. All right. And I I kind of feel like being a Buck Cherry fan can be a little embarrassing, Uh, even though I don't really believe that I should be embarrassed. I I, I feel like this is what being like a Nickelback or a Kid Rock or a Lip Biscuit fan might be like to be Buck Cherry, because there's so much lyrical silliness that this band has done in the past. They are not original. They are not deep musically or lyrically. They're not someone who asks you a lot of questions and yet but does something that I think those older rock fans like, like me, like maybe you, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to out you. Uh, <laughs> like we seem to want to do. It's like you, you, you talk to people and they're like, man, I wish, you know, rat or faster pussycat would release a new album and a great sleaze rock record that would take the world you know, by the whatever. And uh, of course those bands never do. And this is Buck Cherry's basically their third coming, coming, comeback or coming together again. They've had some stinker records and here they are 25 years later saying, we've decided to be America's ACDC and we're going to play simple rock and loud and riffy and, yeah, I mean, it's also a little bit like permanent vacation Aerosmith meeting, you know, maybe blow up your video era ACDC. It's it's from the 80s in a sensibility, but it's also maybe because it's so retro, it's also a little new and it's really alive. And Josh Todd, the vocalist who's the only original member now still in Buck Cherry, I just, I remember tweeting out when it came out, I said, he did it again after some really sloppy, some, some, some bad efforts earlier, he's come back with another monster and, you know, classic rock magazine, the, the, the person who reviewed the album said it's their best yet. I don't agree with that, but it is a party rock album for the 21st century for the 2020s. I almost can't believe they did it. I can't believe it's my number three. But man, I've enjoyed listening to it.
I wouldn't use the words guilty pleasure with them. And I'll tell you why. Had the song Crazy Bitch or Lit Up never been famous, people would have a lot more respect for Buckcherry. Yeah. The problem with it is they're known as the crazy bitch guys. And you're never going to escape that. Because of that song, they're infamous. And I feel like if you didn't have that song, they would just be a down and dirty rock band that's been slugging it for the last 20 something years. And I feel like those songs, because they became bachelorette party anthems and strip club and, and you, you kind of get that like one hit wonder vibe. And yes, I just mentioned two songs. I get the irony of that, but they become known for those two songs. And underneath those songs is always, I felt like a body of work that you should explore. Because those songs aren't there out out in like left field for the most most times. And growing up being huge into the hairband scene, Poison, Warrant, Motley Crue, even Tesla, Cinderella, all that stuff, these guys are not far removed from that. They were a late nineties, early two thousands version of that. Just the hair was cut differently. And I see no reason that you shouldn't still enjoy them. You don't go into a Buck Cherry album looking for music that's going to make you think. You like, have you ever listened to an ACDC record looking for poignant lyrics? No. No, but you still get the creak in your neck because you're sitting there head banging your head the whole time because these 70 year olds still know how to turn it up and blow your eardrums out. And that's the beauty of it. Sometimes music doesn't have to make you think. It doesn't have to make you do anything. It could just be kick-ass rock that you want to sit back and just revel in and feel young again. And that's what rock music like that does for me. So no guilty pleasure. It did not make my top five, but I absolutely love it. Awesome. All right, man. Well, let's get to number two. What's number two on Brian's list? All right. Number two is actually a concept album. I'm not big on concept albums. I'm, I dabble in prog rock. I do enjoy Pink Floyd. I get, you know, the concept albums that everybody knows. But when I listen to Chevelle's Niracious, I don't consider it a concept album. I consider it the album we've been waiting since 2016's The North Corridor for. Released on March 5th, Niracious, otherwise known as Nothing is Real and This is a Simulation, reached number nine on the U.S. Billboard 200 and topped the U.S. Top Alternative Albums, U.S. Top Hard Rock Albums, and U.S. Top Rock Albums charts. The fact that it's a concept album, and I have to use quote marks loosely, is because there's some instrumental and spoken word interludes kind of woven throughout the album. But come on. The pummeling riff of Self-Destructor is worth the price of admission alone. If we were doing a Playlist Wars Chevelle episode tonight, that song would easily make my top 10 playlist. Chevelle is criminally underrated. They're a band that deserves to be so much bigger than they are. 
I've seen them in amphitheaters, but always as like the second opener. I've never seen them higher on the bill unless you're seeing them at a smaller 2,000, 3,000 person venue. And in my mind, that is grossly underrated because these guys are fantastic. The three best songs on the album for me were Self-Destructor, like I said, Peach, and Mars Simula. My number two, Chevelle's Niracious. That's a really good choice. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it. It won't be on my list, but you're right about Chevelle. I, I have never seen Chevelle live, but what do you have a theory as to why they are so criminally underrated and underappreciated? I feel like because they came up during the new metal explosion, during yeah. Stained, Creed, and they get lumped in unfairly with new metal and with like with arms wide open. I cannot think of a Chevelle song that sounds like that, but for some reason they're lumped into that unfairly because they are just a straight ahead hard rock band. To me, the vocalist, he does remind me of Maynard in a way at times. Some of his phrasing can go into like tool territory and some of the riffs, not as proggy as tool, but goes down that road of the sludginess and kind of the introspective guitar riffs where it's not just a one, two, three, one, two, three. There's a little bit of complexity kind of woven into these riffs and the songs are fantastic. And God, I, I don't know if maybe people just overlooked them or forgot about them when that scene kind of crashed and burned in the early two thousands and kind of the, whatever music came next, I would say maybe the pop punk of the emo, the My Chemical Romances started rising from those ashes. So to me, Chevelle, and they've been going this whole time. I've seen them with uh, Hailstorm, Shinedown. Thank God some of the bands that have elevated beyond that are bringing them along because they're just so damn good, man. Well, there you go. Uh, great choice. My number two is a little bit of a cheat, I'll be honest with you because it's uh, a four song EP, uh, which is maybe not even really an album, but my, my number two is Crownlands and White Buffalo. The last song, the Oracle on White Buffalo is 13 minutes long. So you do get almost, you get 20 plus minutes of music here, which almost might qualify as a, as a short album length. This is my second duo on my list, of course, with Royal Blood as well. A little bit of maybe some spoilers here for my number one, but they do have a drummer singer. And both of the guys in the band are these impossibly beautiful men that are ready for a poster. And, you know, sometimes people will send me something new and 
you know, I, you know, and I'm like, I, I don't know which one of these guys is going to be on a girl's <laughs> a girl's bedroom wall on a poster. Crownland's got that covered. <laughs> um, but uh, again, a little bit of spoiler. It was produ- produced by David Bottrell, who's had a great year. I like all four tracks on this. Some of the tracks on White Buffalo have been around in different forms before. The song that they released prior to this in two th- excuse me in 2020 was called Context Colon Fearless Part One. It was apparently a tribute to Rush. It was absolutely a tribute to Rush. And whether it's coincidental or not that Crownlands are Canadian, I don't know, but there's certainly an affinity for Rush. And it really sounded like they were going down that road. And I like Rush okay. I feel like I have a lot of bands that I would say, I want to like that band. And Rush has kind of been one of those for me. I, I, I want to be like all you other crazy Rush fans. I've never been able to quite get there. And I was a little worried that Crownlands was really going to make that turn, but they've come back here. White Buffalo is expansive. It's beautiful. It's soaring. It's almost kind of wholesome. It's political in a way that isn't overbearing. Although I consider myself pretty open-minded, the guys in Crownlands would probably find my political political stances abhorrent maybe at times i don't know but again it's not overbearing in any particular way they are the most interesting new band that i follow uh, you know and i can't wait to see what they continue to do even if it's just to keep putting out eps you know they basically have one long play uh, of original music and maybe that's the way forward for rock music and pop music and all other kinds of music in a, in the digital streaming age, but whatever they do, I'm along for the rod. I'm really into them. Wow. I will tell you right now, this is the first album we've talked about tonight that I haven't heard yet. It's been on my queue and I just have not gotten around to it probably because I was spinning Volbeat way too many times. <laughs> I can tell you right now, as soon as we're done recording, if the missus falls asleep, before I do, this will be the album I'm listening to tonight. I've already saved it. I'm excited now. All right, after well, see, hearing what you had to say about it, I'm, I'm all in. Well, send me a message after you check it out to see whether we're on the same page. Awesome. We are We are here at our number ones. But before we get, the, get there, I want to talk about our honorable mentions. So I, I know you've prepared some. I have a few. Why don't you give me kind of a, a short running order of some of the albums that were almost on your list but didn't quite make it. All right. The first one, I think, is a North Carolina native, maybe. And it's definitely in the pop rock realm, but it's one that I thoroughly enjoyed a hundred times more than I ever thought I would, and it's Daughtry's Dearly Beloved. I've always loved his voice. I'm not an American Idol guy, but talent is talent, and... American Idol, if they produced Carrie Underwood and Chris Daughtry, blessed be the show because I think they both have incredible voices. And I love his voice in rock music. The last couple albums he did, though, he was going heavy into pop music. And I really was just like, eh, he went back to rock on this album. And there's actually, I'm a sucker for good cover songs. He does an amazing cover of hunger strike by temple of the dog with Lejean from seven dust. And that's only found on the Walmart version of this release, but so, so good. My other ones are the dropkick Murphy's turn up that dial. They never disappoint. I love Irish punk rock and not a bad song on the album. Joe Bonamassa's time clocks. 
I've been a Joe Bonamassa fan since I first discovered him in early 2000. I have every one of his CDs. I've seen him a bunch of times in concert back when he was playing rooms with 100 people in it. My wife and I were there just standing right up against the stage. Now he's playing 25,000 in Red Rocks in Colorado. Time Clocks, amazing album. Zach Brown Band, it is country, but man, the comeback. The last album they did was a straight up pop album and it was awful, but the comeback goes back to their sound where they mix Southern rock, rock, little hard rock and a little bluegrass together. Brilliant. And last but not least, you talked about your guilty pleasure. I'm going to say this one and you're going to end the episode before I can finish the name, but I don't care. John Mayer, sob rock, his ode to eighties pop music was a breath of fresh air. He went all in on it to the fact that the CD itself had the nice price sticker on it he had <laughs> okay. don johnson sunglasses with the blue tint and the miami vice suit on i bought the album and i and i went on the website and i signed up for the mailing list and i got a pamphlet in the mail like the old 80s style pamphlet that you had to cut open and it was a four-page booklet with a coloring page on it like he went all in on the 80s marketing for it and bravo it worked and worked well it was a fun listen I apologize to those who hate him for the TMZ guy he became a long time ago, but I feel like musically the guy is, man, he is on otherworldly. And if you gave his music a chance, I think a lot of people would be pleasantly surprised at how talented he really is. Yeah. You do have to kind of grit your teeth and say that dude can play guitar. And I, while you're mentioning, I actually just wrote down Joe Bonamassa. I like Joe Bonamassa a lot too. I forgot the dude's so prolific. I forgot about this record. I, oh, you I got a new album every week. <laughs> yeah, I, I've I've gonna have to check it out. I forgot it. I was like, uh, royalty still seems like the new one to me. <laughs> and and uh, but I guess that's probably 2020 at this point. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So some of the ones that I considered to get a little uh, feminine perspective here, the pretty reckless. Uh, came, you know, it, it really kind of dominated my January. I think well, it may have been February. I think it was January though. I listened to death by rock and roll a lot. And that was the f- first time I'd ever given them a chance. I was like, you know, I don't know what TV show Taylor Momsen was on as gossip girl, the OC pretty little lot. I, I don't know what show it was, but it, it was kind of a snobby, like John Mayer type thing. Like, you know, what, what, what could she possibly have to offer me? And she has backed by a killer band. And that was, it was a great record. Great start to my year. We just watched Jim Carrey's version of how the Grinch stole Christmas with the kids this past weekend. And I paused it on little Cindy Lou who with the braids. And I turned to my wife and said, you know who that is? And I pulled up a picture of Taylor Bobson on stage now. And I turned to my wife and she went, no. And I'm like, what was that show you watched on, you know, way back when and she goes, Oh, her, she's the same. I said, yeah, she sings in the pretty reckless. And she, and she had no idea that that was her singing really amazing voice. I mean, man, I, I love the pretty reckless. That's a fantastic one. I am not a nerd rock guy at all. I've never really been a Weezer fan, oh, but I know where you're going, you know, maybe it was the time, maybe it was shortly after Eddie Van Halen died them releasing Van Weezer, the total retro throwback kind of idea of mixing 
that 80s style of rock with what Weezer's always done. I was like, this is really cool and clever, and I like this a lot. And, you know, it it wasn't going to make my top five, but it was certainly in the mix. I don't know if you've heard of the band Stoner, which is two-fourths of the, the, the members of Caius, the Stoner Rock Lords from Arizona, most famously Josh Homme, uh, am I pronouncing that correct? Is it Josh Home or Josh Homme? The Queens Holmes, of the Stone Age. I don't want to say, I don't want yeah, to say it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> that dude from Queens yes. of the Stone Age. But it's he's not in it, obviously. Uh, and, and the lead vocalist isn't in it. But Stoner had like a seven song, sludgy, you know, total into the riff, total like complete buy-in to, you know, once you've heard the first four seconds, you know what the next three minutes of your life is going to sound like because they're just going to lay that into you and bury it into you. But great little earworms. So those were three of the albums I thought about. Thunder had a new record this year. Thunder's a band I've never really been able to quite get into. It's kind of like a, almost, you know, like a, they don't sound like Tesla, but it's kind of like a British Tesla, like a, a band that was kind of, you can't say they didn't make it because they clearly did make it, but they maybe didn't make it as much as they deserved. And, uh, but even though 30 some years, I guess, in, they had a really good record this year too. So those were some of the ones that almost made it for me. But we're here at the end. Brian, I can't wait to hear. What's your number one? All right. My number one album was released on June 11th. It reached number 12 on the U.S. Billboard 200 and topped the U.S. Independent Albums, U.S. Top Hard Rock Albums, and U.S. Top Rock Albums Chart. And I'm going with Mammoth WVH's self-titled album, Wolf Van Halen, Man, I get it. He's Eddie's son. But on this album, he proved to me that he didn't need the namesake to become famous because he can write and play. The fact that he plays every instrument and sings every note on this album shows that he's just not some kid that's using the Van Halen name to gain notoriety. He's legit. Yeah, I get it. The name helps because... Look, most bands with their debut album aren't hopping on a bus and going and opening for Guns N' Roses for the summer. So, yeah, I get it. He might have had one foot in the door here, but if his album was crap, he would have been booed off every single stage on that stadium tour. It's not crap. When you say Mammoth WVH, you're getting an album that's ready-made for arena hard rock songs, and you can instantly sing along to them at the maximum volume. The track Think It Over is the perfect summer hard rock tune that kind of begs you to be played with the top down on your convertible, going a little bit over the speed limit. Is 
what amazes me about this album is when you listen to it, you never once feel like you're listening to a kid that layered each instrument over each other in a studio setting. This album sounds like the band is plugged in and cranking these songs out live, which was a testament to Michael Besquet, who is credited with producing and mixing the project. Also, the album has a really fun video for the song Don't Back Down that reinforces how talented Wolf is on each instrument because the video is just him at the drums, him at the guitar, him at the bass, him in the studio mixing it. It's just a bunch of Wolf Van Halen's together playing the song together, and it's a lot of fun. Three songs of note, You're to Blame, Don't Back Down, which I just mentioned, and Think It Over, which I also mentioned. My number one album of 2021, Mammoth, WVH, self-titled. Let me ask you, and this is interesting because of how we kind of started the episode, how much of your appreciation for this record goes to the fact that you are a working musician who has put together albums and understands the challenges of it. And in this case kind of, I mean, you know, he's not the first person to play every or almost every instrument on a record, but there is a, a level of accomplishment there. How much does that play into your appreciation for the album? Well, if the album was garbage, I would just say to you, I respect the fact that he did it all himself. And I okay. would just end my sentence that way. The fact is, when I turn these songs on, I'm singing along, man. I'm feeling it. These riffs are good. They're memorable. They're catchy. They're instant earworms. And some of these choruses, you just hear the songwriting and you go, this kid knows how to craft a song. And I get it. Some of the people are saying that it's just I've, I've they use the term butt rock or whatever you want to call it that hinder meets creed meets whatever you want to call it middle of the road soccer mom rock and i'm sorry but bands like shinedown have produced some of the better albums of the last decade i love no frills rock and roll and this kid knows how to do it. And if you can craft a hard rock song and make a melody that makes my 13 year old sing along, even though she's not the biggest rock person in the world, if it's drawing her into the world of rock music, it's even a bigger plus for me. All right. Well, distance, you know, it didn't hit for me. Um, clearly the way it hit for you, I probably need to give it another chance. Well, I said distance, the song distance and the video distance. I mean, you know, it's tear jerking. I, you know, it was, and you know, whether that's a, an unhappy coincidence or, you know, certainly I think some people would say Wolf's kind of profiting off, you know, the loss of his father. And, you know, he's been working on this album for all these years. And finally, right when Eddie dies is when all this stuff comes out and, 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 and that sort of thing. And that's probably uncharitable. Uh, and I don't know if you follow Wolf on, social media, he, he, he does not do himself, in my opinion, a lot of favors. I, I, I don't know why he punches down so much, but you know, maybe some people like that. I don't know. I, I, but I find him a little insufferable at times. And I think that may have colored how I listened to distance when I finally got around to it, but I'm certainly willing to give it another, another chance. It's certainly professional. And I always thought 
I know a lot of people love Michael Anthony. I never really missed him when Wolf came in. I thought Wolf hit the harmonies close enough and he played bass, you know, tremendously and fit in well with his dad and his uncle and, and David Lee Roth. I, 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 I've always been pulling for him. You know, I wish maybe he'd tone it down a little bit on social media, but anyway. I'll 100% uh, agree with the social media thing. I feel yeah. like he shows me that he's got a little bit of growing up to do in the thick skin. And some, that's something what, unfortunately, he's also publicly grieving the loss of his father, which sure. must, I can't even, I, I have not gone through that, knock on wood, and I'm lucky to say that, and I don't know how I would handle it. So I can't question that. And I feel like the times he does punch down, like you said, is when people ask dumb questions like, why won't you play Panama? What, stuff like that. That's his dad's legacy, and he's trying to carve his own. Now, the one thing I will say is the distance is labeled on the CD as a bonus track. So in my mind, when I listen to the album, if I stop at the song before the distance, the distance to me feels out of place on the album. So it does feel like a bonus track. It feels like something that was done that he maybe was going to put in his pocket and then maybe... He decided when Eddie passed to put that out as a tribute. Maybe that was helping him heal. I think that song is way different than everything else on the album. And I feel like it's a different vibe. So, yes, the song is powerful. And, yeah, it's it's moving and it's hard to listen to. But if you stop before that song, I think you will say, oh, so that wasn't part of the original thought of the album. And I'm a big album guy. So yeah. when you listen to that album, if you, once you get to the distance, hit stop and say, now, what did I just hear? Because I feel like if you do that and you just put the distance completely out of your mind and you put his mouth and his Twitter banter out of your mind, you're going to get a really fantastic rock album that you're going to probably say, wow, I'm glad I did give that a chance. Yeah, I, I think that's correct. I, I, distance came out very soon after Eddie's death and... I think the, and I could be wrong. And if remembering correctly, my source is probably something like blabbermouth, which probably means it's half wrong anyway. <laughs> but uh, I do think you're right that it was maybe almost like a record label decision. Like, all right, let, let's make sure that song is on there. And so it was added as the very last track. Maybe that's not a decision he wanted to make, but uh, I'm sure it made commercial sense. And, Certainly, there's been far worse commercial mistakes than to add a song like Distance to the record. But Right, right. All right. My number one, I told you I had uh, a little bit of spoilers in Crownlands, both on the producer, David uh, Bottrell, and uh, the fact that uh, Crownlands is a band with a drummer slash singer. My number one is Mastodon, Hushed and Grimm. I said earlier, there's bands that I've like, I wish I was into them. I've always wanted to be into that, or I, I wish I liked them better. I, I just don't quite get it. And Mastodon had kind of been that for me. I own several Mastodon CDs and I've listened to them and have liked some of their songs a tremendous amount over the years. But there was something, I don't know what it was when this album came out. I think it was in October. I just made sure, maybe it was November, I told myself, you're going to listen to this, 
and you know this is complicated, you know it's going to be more complex than most of what you listen to, but you're going to give this a chance. And I'm so glad I did because you can't listen to Mastodon once and you maybe can't listen to it five times. It is just progressive metal that takes a little of wrapping your mind around. And I really dug into this album. And once I, and I say it takes five times, really after the first time, I was like, I can't wait to listen to this again. And it got to the point for me where I would listen to something else for a day or two. And then I would say to myself, you know, this is fine, but your time could really be better spent listening to Mastodon again. So I'd go put on Hushed and Grin. There's the, the song Peace and Tranquility is probably my favorite song on the record. It has this great kind of lonely line in it that goes, and I keep on waiting for someone to save me. I keep waiting for someone to ask me, what is your name? And I just find that this incredibly evocative way of talking about being lonely. Mastodon is opened my eyes really to progressive metal. I've never been a dream theater guy. I'm like wanting to go down the dream theater rabbit hole now when I can get hushed and grim out of my system, as well as doom, doom crew incorporated from, from black label, which recently came out. Just can't say enough about this record. I'm really in love with it. I just want to keep listening to it. I will say this too. I was going to laugh at reviews that would talk about the album packaging or the album covers or what have you. It's like, you know, I don't, I don't listen to music with my eyes. I don't necessarily, I mean, I'm, I like a lyric sheet, but I don't necessarily care. Mastodon has the most gorgeous album covers. And I just want to make, I just want to make posters. I, I, I want to buy them all and hang them on the wall. And this is another one that's just, you know, really great looking. I'm, I've got I've got the vinyl on my Christmas wish list, so hopefully Santa's listening, and uh, and and maybe somebody will get it for me. But in any event, that's how I'm close closing out the year. Uh, I'm so happy to really be into them. Like I started listening to uh, to Yes. Like I'm not a prog guy, <laughs> and Mastodon. I feel like you know it's probably overblown, but it's a little life changing. This is kind of opening my eyes to maybe I can like stuff that's a little different and a little more progressive. Maybe I will end up liking that. So anyway, that's my number one with a bullet Mastodon hushed and grim. I've heard tear drinker and I'm excited to hear the rest. This has been another one that I have not given the entire album a listen to, but having the week off between Christmas and new New year, I'm going to be doing a lot of digging and a lot of discovering. And this is one that because I enjoyed tear drinker a lot, I'm curious to hear how it fits into the rest of the body of the album. So I'm looking forward to that one. 
Well, I can't wait to hear what you think. Now, I know we talked about, or I talked about, how certainly Playlist Wars has this uh, a very kind of, you know, typically positive approach, positive on social media, that sort of thing. I'm going to ask you to go a little negative, and I know you don't have a problem doing that. Did you have a disappointing album in 2021? Yeah, actually I did. And I'm going to go back to my number one album. My, sorry, my number five album, the first one okay. I spoke about tonight, Royal Bloods Typhoons. And I said that they did it well, whereas the Foo Fighters Medicine to Midnight wasn't. And I think that was the disappointment for me. I don't hate it. I've listened to it several times and I do enjoy it. But when I listen to Wasting Light by the Foo Fighters, I hear a completely different band. I hear a right. band that's a raw, energetic like rock band on wasting light and i get it dave Grohl wanted to do something different you get stale but i feel like the last few albums have been since wasting light because wasting light is my all-time favorite foo fighters album even more than the color and the shape and everything since then has kind of gotten progressively less i don't want to say worse i'm going to say far removed from the sound they had on like white limo and Alexandria and Dear Rosemary. Those songs were like amazing. Some of the stuff they did on this last album, not so much. However, Shame Shame, I've heard that song, God, several dozen times this year. I'm addicted to whatever Taylor, ha Taylor Hawkins is doing on the drums in that song. It's so rhythmic. And the song is, I don't want to say dull, because it made my top 10 songs of 2021. It's, trying to think of the word it's mo it's monotone almost it's okay kind of one note one progression that he's just kind of working around it's not the way you talked about progressive rock where it's all over the place and it takes you on an adventure this is keeping you standing still but by the end of the song you're hooked there's something about the drum beat and the percussiveness of the song that's just so inviting and it's so weird because it's unlike any Foo Fighter song. But because of that crowning achievement, it was also its downfall because they tried a little too much and some stuff just didn't land for me. I, I do like Taylor Hawkins a lot and some of his other side projects. It didn't really do it for me either, though. I, I, I can't disagree with you. My biggest disappointment, I almost hate to say it, was uh, the... The self-titled debut long play from Dirty Honey. I just, you know, I heard the first time I heard Dirty Honey, I thought, holy cow, here it is. Finally, someone picked up from where Aerosmith was and draw the line in 1977 and is going forward with it. And that album just put me to sleep. I, I, I don't know what happened. I, I love the EP they did. I still have a lot of confidence they're going around opening for Wolfie on the, the mammoth tour. Uh, I, 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 I'm optimistic and still hopeful that they're going to make music that I love for a long time. But man, that album put me to sleep and I, I don't feel like I'm, they have nearly the buzz they had 12, 18 months ago. I, so I don't know if the rest of the world is agreeing with me or not, but that kind of seems to be where it's at. But anyway, that's my disappointment. I didn't hate it, but I see the first songs that hit in early 2020, they hit. Yeah. This album, it hit. It was there. It, it didn't, like, blow me away. 
but I feel there's potential there. So like I had mentioned at the beginning of the show, that's a band I'm going to keep on my radar. Yeah, the first album didn't knock me out, but some of the songs that they did prior to that did. So I want to see how they progress as a band. Brian, this was a lot of fun. I really appreciate you coming on. Let's end with something a little, you know, if you're only into music, you can go ahead and cut the episode off now and go listen to something else. But let's just end on a slightly different note, I guess. Brian, who's going to win the Super Bowl this year? The New York Giants. (laughs) (laughs) How's your Madden season going? (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, honestly, this year, oh, God, it's tough. There, there, you got Tampa Bay. You got that Tampa Bay, New England Super Bowl that they're already talking about in the paper. You still got Green Bay. Mm. You know who I'm going to say as an underdog? Let's hear it. Arizona. I'm glad you said that because I kind of think Arizona has the best team. I know they lost. We're recording this on a Tuesday. They lost last night to the Rams Monday night football. I feel like they have the best team, but Tom Brady, (laughs) he's leading the league in passing yards. (laughs) I just, (laughs) I mean, I used to hate him and you just can't hate him anymore. It's like, well, at least this is what watching Rembrandt must have been like or whatever. <laughs> At least we get to see. At least we get to be alive for it. Yeah, I just feel like they're going to start putting things together. Gronk all of a sudden seems healthy. Antonio Brown sitting on the sideline, you know, waiting to come back, and he'll be completely healthy. And I have a bad feeling about what's going to happen in February, but we'll see. As a Giants fan, every time Tom Brady wins another Super Bowl, it just shows me how special it was for the one that I did see in Phoenix when the Giants beat the 18-0 and Patriots. Man, and my whole wife's extended family's from New England, so, oh, my God. I, I go up there, and they're always like, well, the Giants suck. And if they were to say that to me like the last five years, they're right. But as, long, as soon as they continue to talk trash, I just hold up two fingers in the air and kind of <laughs> wiggle them back and forth and be like, see these – these are the two empty fingers that Tom Brady has because Eli Manning's wearing those rings. And I said, look, if he wins 20 Super Bowls, it still doesn't take away the fact that one quarterback beat him every time. So as a Giants fan, it's a it's a source of pride that I have to bring up there with me. I'm not a trash talker, but I do keep it in my back pocket just in case. Yeah, that, um, you know, Peyton Manning and Eli have the Monday Night Football alternative yep. broad, broadcast and. When Tom Brady was on, Eli had a great moment where he said something to the effect, I always like playing, playing you, Tom. Because, <laughs> you know, uh, of course, Peyton can't always say that. <laughs> but uh, but uh, Eli did have a little moment there with Tom. Brian, thanks so much. I had a lot of fun. This was a blast. I feel like I learned some things, and I'm going to be checking some things out in greater detail uh, from talking to you and listening to you and learning from you. One more time, I know my listeners are smart enough to know where to find podcasts because they're able to find this one. But anything else you want to tell us about Playlist Wars, your Patreon, anything else? Oh, sure. We are at PlaylistWarsPodcast.com. Obviously, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, the show is interactive. So the site is set up that you can comment there or on social media. On Twitter, we're at Playlist Wars. On Instagram, we're at Playlist Wars Podcast. You can also find us on Facebook. But you could vote for all the episodes at PlaylistWarsPodcast.com. And if you're a big fan of what we're doing and you want to support it, we do have a Patreon. 
There we drop episodes three to four weeks before they go out on the regular feed. And there's other tiers that if you want to come on and be a guest, you can join certain tiers. It's a great way to be interactive with the other people that are really enjoying geeking out with us week after week on the show. We have some nice conversations going on in there. So it's something that Gomez and I are doing as a labor of love for music and the things we enjoy. And anybody that's listening that wants to come join, it's like a big musical community that we're trying to build with people that enjoy music and enjoy talking about music. And I'm thankful for the relationship that we have, John, being able to have you on. I'm looking forward to doing it again in 2022 and having you come back for a three-peat with us. Maybe we do an album one with you next time where we do this little mini segment called Playlist and Album, where you pick your four favorite songs from the album and create a playlist in any order you want. It's a fun little spin on the show. So if you want to do that or another full-length episode, we love having you on. It's always a pleasure talking music with you. And thank you so much for having me on tonight. Likewise, my friend. Have a great holiday. Wish you all the best. Talk to you soon. You as well. All right. That was my conversation with Brian Colburn of Playlist Wars. This episode's already pretty long by Well to Sky standard. So I'm going to wrap this up pretty quickly. I'm actually recording this on December 29th, 2021. I think we recorded that episode two weeks ago. Look, the Arizona Cardinals are falling apart at this point. The Patriots seem to be falling apart. Maybe even the Buccaneers look a little mortal. Maybe we should have gone with the Chiefs. I don't know. We'll see how that all plays out. But it was really fun and insightful and humbling to have Brian on. He's got such a great voice, and he's smart, and he doesn't stutter and bumble around like I do. I've edited some of that out, but you can still hear it. Brian's such a pro, and it's an honor to have him on. I said on the episode that Peace and Tranquility is my favorite track off Hushed and Grim, and I've read a review or two or maybe read one review and watched another one on YouTube that talks about how for at least a couple of these people, Peace and Tranquility is one of their bottom three tracks on the record. Look, I love Pain with an Anchor, I love Sickle and Peace, Skeleton of Splendor and Tear Drinker, which Brian talked about, the final track. Gigantium. This album is amazing and has tons of outstanding tracks and is really an experience, but I'm sticking with Peace and Tranquility. Maybe it takes a little step back from the pure metal aspect of some of the other tracks, but this is an amazing album. Savage Lands, it's another great song on here too. Gobblers of Dregs. This is, Again, it's just an album to be absorbed, and I hope you'll take that journey at some point, if not in 2021, in 2022, because we're right there. Again, thank you, Brian, for coming on. Thank you, the listener, for checking me out. It's humbling that anyone does. In any event, I hope you've had a wonderful holiday season. I hope you have a great New Year's, and that 2022 is your year. I'll talk to you soon.